When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. TV, comics, movie stars, hit singles and some toys. It's trivia and dirty jokes. An evening with the boys. Once is never good enough for something so fantastic. So here's another Gilbert and Franks. Here's another Gilbert and Franks. Here's another Gilbert and Franks. Colossal classic. Hi, this is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre. Out of the 300 plus shows that Frank and I have done, this week's guest may have the longest and most varied list of accomplishments. We'll do our best to sum them up. He's a musician, songwriter, recording artist, record producer, music supervisor, music historian, actor, director, TV producer, film composer, disc jockey, radio host, and human rights activist. He's a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and one of the world's leading authorities on both contemporary and traditional rock and roll. As an actor, you've seen him in the Netflix show Lilyhammer, a show he also co-wrote and executive produced. In the new Martin Scorsese film, The, the Irishman, and of course as mobster and consigliere Silvio Dante in the long-running HBO series The Sopranos. As a founding member of Bruce Springsteen's East Street Band and his own band, Little Stephen and the Disciples of Soul, he's performed all over the world to sold-out crowds. And his original songs have been recorded by Jackson Brown, Pearl Jam, Darlene Love and Nancy Sinatra, to name a few. He's also co-produced the unforgettable multi-platinum Springsteen albums The River and Born in the USA. But there's more. (laughs) He's also created the terrific 
Little Steven's Underground Garage. Yay. <laughs> Heard right here on Sirius XM and founded the Rock and Roll Forever Foundation to keep students engaged and in school. His elaborate new box set is called Rock and Roll Rebel the Early Work. And I'm exhausted just reading about him. <laughs> We're thrilled to welcome to the show our rock and roll icon, a renaissance artist. And to put it mildly, a man who says his life was forever changed by an event that took place 56 years and one day ago. The legendary Steven Van Zandt. Maron. <laughs> Can we take a break now? As Gilbert says, it also doubles as an obituary. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always feel it should end found dead in his New York apartment. <laughs> You forgot my other station on Sirius, Outlaw Country. Outlaw Country. Channel 60. You know, you forgot some oh, things. I'll read it all over again. <laughs> Back You're one it. of those guests, Stephen. The intro could go on and on and on. I mean, the, That's enough. there's That's a lot long. of stuff. Yeah, well, you know, try to stay busy, you know. You don't like to take vacations. We were talking before. No, the, the... I don't get it. I don't get that whole concept, you know. You lay on the beach for an hour and then what? I I don't like going out of town for a va to me a vacation is sitting on the couch with the TV remote. That's a vacation. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. You're both workaholics. Neither one yeah. of you want to stop working. Well, I'd love to sit down. <laughs> I want to go home now. <laughs> so what did you what did you tell Stephen about uh, what what you wish would happen every this, night you perform? This is like right before I'm about to go on stage. I'll be backstage with the fantasy that the manager of the club will say we had a fire or a flood, and uh, no show tonight. Here's your check. <laughs> And just recently it happened. There was some kind of screw-up. I was supposed to do two shows. And something happened with the first show. Some screw-up with the tickets. And he said, so you could either go on and do a first show or we could cancel it. And I, I screamed, I cancel it! <laughs> yeah. That's a work I, ethic, isn't it? I, I, I had an erection. No, I wasn't doing two shows that night. Yeah, you know, I, I understand. I do. <laughs> you know, sometimes you like you book a lot of things, you know, and then and then they cancel. You know, yes. like, like you're saying, you know, and then and, and it's such a thrill when you know you got like one thing after the other, one day after the other, you know. And sometimes I just book things just to cancel them, you know, just to kind of have that same feeling. <laughs> to get a high from the cancel. Yeah, because I... you know, I get a free day off. It's a free day, you know. <laughs> Yeah. One one time I was booked in Hawaii. This shows how neurotic I am. I was booked in Hawaii, and then there was some screw-up with their, uh, I think the club got sold to someone, whatever, some, some screw-up. And they said, your Hawaii gig is canceled. And I was thrilled. <laughs> I was thrilled that I wasn't going to Hawaii. <laughs> That's a hell of a ride. It is. Yeah. I was reading your Twitter feed, and uh, just we referenced it in the intro, 56 years ago and one day. 
Uh, and you were you were co- complaining that that the Oscars not a, not not a single mention. Nobody mentioned it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not even Hanks. Not even Hanks, which right. you would expect. You right. Know. Right. What was he doing? He's selling a new museum or something? You know, oh, the Hollywood, the, the Hollywood Museum. Come on, he had room to mention it. Yeah, 56 And by the years. way, right. 56 years tonight, the whole world changed. The Beatles did Ed Sullivan. Your Big Bang, as you like to it call it. It was the Big Bang of more than me. You know, I, I remember watching that with my with uh, my father and mother and sisters. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not that old. But, but somebody <laughs> told me about it. <laughs> People tell me about these things. <laughs> I pretend I was there, you know. Fact, no. I was sitting first row at a Rudy Valley concert. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I forgot, too. I was watching Not Fade Away, and I forgot that when the Stones were on the Hollywood Palace, that Dean Martin was rather dismissive of them. That was a big moment for Rolled me. his eyes. That was the second half yeah, of my... Of the Big Bang. Uh, uh, yes, it really was. Because, you know, the Beatles... By the time we saw the Beatles, you know, that was halfway through the career, you know? Yeah. And they were too good, you know? I mean, they, they blew your mind, and they said, here's a whole new world. And boy, did I need a whole new world at that point, you know? I couldn't fit in anywhere. I couldn't think of what I was going to do. But, they, you know, they were so good that you couldn't picture doing it. You know what I mean? They were yeah. Just, the harmony was perfect, and the, the clothes and everything was amazing. But just four months later, thank God, the Rolling mm-hmm. Stones came, mm-hmm. you know, and they made it look easier than it was. They didn't. They wore different things. Uh, they had no harmony, you know. It was kind of like a, the first punk band, you know. And so, you know, they, you know, the the Beatles showed us the world, and, and the Rolling Stones invited us in. You know, that's how I that's how I put it. I like the way you described you know? the Beatles you, uh, on Sullivan. You said it couldn't have been a bigger impact if a spaceship had landed. Right. In fact, it was more of an impact because, we, because we'd seen spaceships land on TV. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? I've seen this. Right? You saw that, you know, the day the Earth stood still. But, you know, this was nothing like you'd ever seen before because there was no bands. People, I know it's hard to imagine, right? But there was no bands. Right. You know, you had singing individuals, you know, you had singing groups, but there was not a lot, a lot of bands. And and when the Beatles came over, it was so weird that they were looked upon as so, like these weird hippies. Oh, yeah. They were all wearing suits and ties. I know, and, I know, and as nice as could be. Yeah. But then our parents got a very good perspective on it when the Rolling Stones came, you see. All of a sudden, those ugly, nasty Beatles weren't so bad. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know? Well, the, the Stones didn't look like show business. The Beatles were no. at least, they were all wearing the same outfit, and, and they was, looked like showbiz. But that was the thing that changed, yeah. that, that changed my life, and I, and I know it sounds silly, but the fact that Mick Jagger did not smile was the first time I'd ever seen anybody in show business not smile. And that, to me, meant this is not show business anymore. This is a lifestyle. It's a whole different thing. And that was what really attracted me. You know, that was the thing I was like, I'm, I, I want to do that. You know what I mean? I want to be part of that lifestyle. I don't care about show business, you know. I like it now, you know what I mean? But back then, you know, I wasn't a showbiz person, you know. But that lifestyle of just uh, being in a band and not really changing once you go off stage and on stage, it's kind of the same thing, you know. That was a new new idea, and the Rolling Stones uh, had that impact on me. That was like, man, you know, that's different. And uh, we were in, you know. The challenge for you though was, how do I get there? How do I get from I'm here? St- I'm still working on it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Gilbert, you have any specific memories of watching that as a kid? Of watching uh, the Beatles? On yeah, Solomon? I I remember family? watching that because it just seemed like you know back then. 
I always think about this. Back then, you could go up to anybody on the street and say, hey, how about that so-and-so show last night? Uh. And everybody in the world saw that show yeah. like laughing you're, yeah yeah, you're talking yeah. About water cooler yeah shows. you go hey you remember yeah. hey wasn't that funny when bob hope uh, got <laughs> splashed with the <laughs> three channels yeah right, right. and That's everybody true. knew it and if you appeared on if they saw the back of your head for a second on tv <laughs> everybody wanted your autograph the next day yeah but, yeah, no, I remember watching the Beatles. I think my father said, if it was up to me, they'd starve. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, what does Gandolfini's character say in Not Fade Away when he's watching the, uh, when he's watching the, he's, he's watching the uh, Stones? He says something similar. Yeah. If it was up to me or something. These, yeah. but, that, but that night, you know, I don't remember what he said, but, but for me... I saw my past meeting my future, you know, because I'm, you know, Italian American. So Dean Martin was a hero, you yeah, know, sure, and still is, you know. I mean, I, I never stopped liking him, and he was making fun of them, you know, terribly. I mean, really, yeah. really obnoxiously. Yeah, you know? I've forgotten it. And and to this day, don't mention it to Keith Richards. I'm telling you right now. He still wrote about don't, it. In his don't book. mention it. Yeah, <laughs> he still wants to, you know. He but, still he wants to kill Dean Martin. Yeah, you know. He, <laughs> He wish he was alive. He could kill him again. But 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 I mean, for me, it made sense. Of course, he's making fun of. You know, they're supposed to make fun of them. You know, you know what I mean? It was like the, you didn't want to appeal to your parents back then. You know, so the fact that that generation was completely appalled by these new rock and roll guys was uh, was more attractive to to us. You, you, know? you know, what was weird about that time period too. You'd listen to the radio. And there would be Frank Sinatra, then the Stones, yeah, uh, yeah. the then Beatles, the, and and the, 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 the singing nun. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah the singing nuns, <laughs> right. or the, the Green Berets, or novelty songs. You yeah. can hear tip throw through the tiptoe yeah. through the tulips, or the, or yeah. the yes, yeah. or uh, Napoleon. What was it? They're coming to take me away. Oh yeah, <laughs> they'd be like Sammy Davis Jr. and Bob Dylan and. Uh, and the same thing on the old Hullabaloo shows. If you go back and look at them, we were very fortunate to have like I don't know how many, like eight rock and roll TV shows on every week. You know, yeah. One of which was called Hullabaloo for only for a couple of years, but they were kind of mixing the generations on that show. So you'd have a rock and roll show, but the host would be Jerry Lewis. Yes. You know, or you know, singing with his son Gary Lewis. You know. <laughs> 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 or, uh, or Sammy Davis Jr. You know, they'd be the host of the, you know, which is like crazy when you go back and look at that stuff. I love it. Before you, it's what you you call when radio became segregated, when everybody, what he's talking about, the era that we could hear everything. It was a, it really was a, a common ground. Yeah. Top, top forty, as it was called. You know, the yeah. hits, the hits. You know, but it was only AM radio, and we had two stations in this area, and they were both identical. You know, WMCA and WABC. Yeah, we virtually. grew up with the Harry Harrison and yeah. Ron Lundy and all those guys. All those guys over there and Cousin Brucey Cousin over Brucey. there, you know, who's still here, unbelievably. Yes. He is. <laughs> On the we're in his studio. You know. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that was, but they were they were great. You know, before FM radio, it was it was still great radio, you know. Uh, it wasn't the case in England. Those poor guys had to, like, wait a long time before they got decent radio. But, but uh we were lucky right away. And then there was that classic uh, duet with Bing Crosby and David Bowie. Oh, yeah, it was later, yeah. 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 
That's yeah. wonderful. That was great. Uh, uh, the drummer boy, little drummer boy, yeah, little drummer oh, boy. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That you was could great. hear every kind of music on those on those pop yeah. stations because it was because ABC basically played whatever was on the charts. Yeah, so you could have bubble gum, and and and, and could... rock and roll was staging a slow coup, you right. know, over the charts, and slowly, you know, they would pretty much take over by. Well, with the British invasion, with the Beatles and, and, and all that really started to really take it over. But up until then, uh, rock and roll was some, an underground cult that was kind of sneaking in with an Elvis Presley or sure. Bill Haley and the Comets or, you know, Little Richard and those guys, you know. And then there was that also, it was creepy when people like Frank Sinatra started trying to keep up with the kids and he did like mrs robinson i love that yeah he likes it yeah we play it's in my it's on my format it's, it's on my playlist like, jilly yeah. loves you more than you yeah, will know exactly yeah what's better than that you a jilly rizzo reference you cuckoo bird mrs robinson we've played it on this show too but not affectionately the way, oh, no, the I love way it. steven I love plays it yeah i to me it's a jaw dropper <laughs> it's a little shocking at first, but uh, for me, I, I love that stuff. And I love Sammy it. with his Nehru jackets and peace signs, yeah. and the boots, the Beetle boots. Well, yeah, and he did the uh, the famous uh, Bob Fosse movie, uh, which was what Sweet Charity or one of those, you know, where he was doing all of the cool swinging sixties oh, yeah. dances. Yeah, and, oh yeah, oh yeah. No, Sammy was hip. Yeah. Well, why has there never been a great movie about Sammy Davis Jr.? There should be. Can somebody it? tell me this? He's got to be the most uh, talented, accomplished guy you know in the world. I mean, you really. know, what he's one of the most talented guys in the history of show business. I don't remember ever seeing a great movie about him. Or, Did you ever know. meet any of the Rat Pack in your travels? No. Never, never rubbed elbows with any of no, those guys. No. They wouldn't have liked me. You know? Why is that? <laughs> I, I doubt that's true, Steve. Unless they visited the set of The Sopranos <laughs> or, or Lilyhammer, you know. Then they would have liked me a little bit, but nah, they wouldn't have liked me. Plus, around that time of the Rat Pack and Martin and Lewis and all that, I always think there are somebody... There's somebody alive who knows some really ugly secrets about all of them. <laughs> well, it's pretty, pretty much been printed in a lot of books by now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Let's read, try- read the great, the great uh, Toshius book, uh, Dino. The, the, uh, Dino. Oh, that's Martin. a great book. Oh, one of the great biographies yes. of all time. We just lost him, yeah. the writer. Yes, yeah. uh, it's a shame. Yeah. It's fantastic. This, speaking of those DJs that, that, that went away, those great DJs that we grew up with, thats that was part of your idea behind Underground Garage, wasn't it? To bring personalities back to that. Yeah, I thought- To bring well, that world back. Why should we be, be the only generation that had any fun, you know? It's terrible. I really, I, I feel really bad about what we're leaving this, these you know future generations. I mean- uh, Yeah, because we grew up in what you call that renaissance period. We had re- access to all of it. It was a renaissance, okay? When the greatest art being made is also the most commercial- it's a renaissance period, you know, and 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 we took it for granted totally, but personality was was expected and and and, and uh, encouraged, you know, in those days, and suddenly when the consultants came into radio, late seventies and the eighties, slowly, all the personality was pushed into sports radio and talk radio, 
and the audience went with it. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. How, how, did, how that happened? It, well, it's corporate. You know, it becomes yeah. corporate. But somebody uh, made the decision that you don't need personalities to play records? Yeah, they were, they were fucking idiots. Okay? Yeah. You know, because, you know. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, I mean, it's, it's just like we, we've had a few kitty show, old kitty show hosts on the podcast. Do you remember Wonderama with Sonny Fox? Well, I watched we, that we show. We had Sonny Fox on the show. Wow. And we had Chuck McCann. Chuck and, McCann, wow. too, yeah. And, and it was like back then... Uh, you know, in between the cartoons, you had this friend on uh, on TV. He was your adult friend, <laughs> and he was nice. And uh, well, uh, Officer Joe Bolton, yes, and, and Captain yeah, Jack McCarthy, and all those guys. Yes. Everybody that grew up in the tri-state area. Andy Devine, sure. Yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and Sandy Becker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All yeah. gone. But but, yes. but a similar thing happened on the radio. You know, you, you know, where, where you had a relationship with the DJ sure. or, or with the radio station. You know, Harry Harrison, we just lost. Yeah, last and, week. You know, and 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 you and you you didn't. You know, everybody's lonely a little bit. You know what I mean? And and you're right. They became your friends. I mean, they really did. You know? And and what was funny about shows like Ed Sullivan. Is it's like, you know, you're a kid, you want to see like uh, the rock band and maybe a comedian. But, and you were forced to watch an opera singer or a ballet dancer. Yeah. And then you. Or Tessie so, O'Shea. The, oh, the, who, who yes. Played the night at the Beatles. Yes. Tessie O'Shea. Oh. What, <laughs> jugglers? Yeah, you, the jugglers, sure. You were forced to watch stuff you didn't want to watch, and then you go, oh, okay, I got a taste of that. That wasn't so bad. Yeah, yeah. And so you were forced to broaden your horizons. And actually, to a smaller extent, in, in a way, that's what Bill Graham did when he started Fillmore East and, 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 and Fillmore West. Um, you know, it was the first time a, a real production came to rock and roll, and he would have, you know, the Who and and Miles Davis, you know, and Buddy Guy, uh, you know, I mean, you know, and do exactly what you're saying, where you came to see the Who, but you're you're getting turned on to a Miles Davis or you know, or some blues, you know, Albert King, or you know, uh, and uh, and that was a radical move that. Uh, we really owe Bill Graham a lot for that that kind of foresight and, uh, you know, telling people, you're not only giving them what they want, but also a little bit of what they need, you know. You know. I think so. so it's better and, for the culture. You know, yeah. And, I mean, those days are over now. And Gilbert's point about the radio, too. You did have to listen to Sergeant yes. Barry Sadler and the Candyman yeah. and, well, uh, well, and yeah. Yummy, Yummy, Yummy and every, yeah. and, and every kind of music. because everything was only two minutes, so. And everything was only two minutes. <laughs> you know, you didn't need to go away. Just wait for a minute and a half yeah. and the next something would change. And, you'd find something and like it. it's like what happened with radio and TV is it's like now, okay, you want to hear country? You go to this station. You want to hear rock? You go to this station. Mm. And everything's separate. Yeah, except on my stations, yes. <laughs> I intentionally broadened that out. Yeah. To, to you know, both in both in my rock and roll format and, and my country format, to really broaden out the roots of where things come from, and uh, and you know we have the widest formats that ever were created. You know, for that very reason, you know, let's turn people on to things. Why not? Well, know? it broke my heart to hear you say that you would be the only guy playing the Stones if the Stones showed up today. Well, that's what happens. If, if Paul McCartney puts out a new record, I'm not going to play it. Right. You know. Right. Don't ask me why. That's what, before they started the Beatles channel, I was the only one playing the Beatles. Doesn't make I any mean, sense. Who thought we'd live that long, you know, to see, you know, the Beatles go away? I mean, 
uh, it's a strange world we're living in right now. And thank God Sirius came along when it did. But uh, I had started my show a couple of years before that, and the format was crazy for people. I said, well, I'm going to play all 60 years of rock and roll and its roots. People said, you can't do that. I said, yeah, I'm going to play blues, I'm going to play soul, I'm going to play girl groups, I'm going to play surf, you know, I'm going to do it all. Right. You know, and British Invasion and the best punk, you know, Clash and Ramones, and they were like, you can't do that. And I was like, yes, you can, if it's the right songs, you know. On TV, I remember, I don't know if it was uh, probably the Grammys, Paul McCartney came out and was playing, and it panned to the audience, and these two girls were looking at their cell phones. <laughs> and I thought, wow, <laughs> this is how times have changed. <laughs> well, they, they thought Kanye West did, you know, discovered him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I work with people who have no idea who Paul McCartney is. Yeah, it's stunning. That's one the greatest part of the Oscars last night, one of the greatest moments, was Billie Eilish doing yesterday, and I think she's going to turn... Millions of young kids onto the Beatles. Oh, I think you're right. Because of that. I think you're right. I really, I mean it. You know, she's got millions of followers and, you know, and I like her a lot. But, you know, I wasn't expecting her to do yesterday, you know. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. So one of the surprises of life, you're you're how old when you're sitting there watching this in 64 on the Sullivan Show? Well, and, my, you know, my grandfather was there, but I, you know. In the middle of New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. the, the thought that one day you're going to be on stage with Paul McCartney is got no, really, inconceivable. Really, no, it was a, really literally, I mean, I don't know, top three highlights of my life. I mean, him coming on stage with, with Bruce and sure. the Street Band was one thing, which was wonderful. Then he invited me and Bruce to join him at the Garden which was amazing. But then he came on my stage with the Disciple of Soul, you know, the surprise. And, uh, wow. Making was... up for the curfew. The, the show that got <laughs> shut down. Yeah. We... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for those of you. <laughs> That's a great story. The first time Paul came on stage with, with Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, we're playing the Hyde Park. And there was a curfew at like, whatever, 10 o'clock. And I swear, it was like 10.01, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Paul McCartney, on stage with Bruce Springsteen, and they pulled the plug. <laughs> Did you know that, Gilbert? <laughs> you hear that oh, one? They pulled the light, they turned the lights off. They turned oh, the power geez. off. Oh, jeez! They were passed in Hyde Park, in Hyde Park right? Hyde Park, yeah. In Hyde Park. Yeah. So he was making up, uh, he was he was writing a wrong. <laughs> but anyway, when he came on stage with me, man, that was, you know, I just remember being in my room, you know, whatever, 12 years old, listening to that first album. Their their first album was the first album anybody bought in my generation, you know. It was actually their second album, but we didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember, you know, and he's slowing that thing down, trying to learn how to play guitar to it, you know. And now he's on stage. You and know? I remember they had the Beatles uh, cards, oh, you know, yeah, with the yeah. stick of gum in it. Yeah. Lots of merchandise, yeah. yeah. For, yeah. for the days. Wigs. They used to sell them in Colony Music. 
the late lamented Colony Music near the Brill Building. Mm. They used to have a, a case in the back where you'd buy the you could yeah. buy the old Beetle wigs and the old plastic yeah. ukulele and all that <laughs> stuff. I always wondered about this question. Anybody who's ever played with Paul McCartney, do you sit down with him at any point and tell him specifically what it meant to you, what he meant to you, or is he, does he just assume it at this point? You don't want to dwell on stuff like that, you know. When you're with when you're with people who are your heroes, you gotta you gotta forget all of that, you know. And you gotta just, you know, they don't want to be they don't want to be reminded of that, really. You know what I mean? You want to just talk to them like a normal person, you know. And you're you're sort of effy about meeting your heroes anyway. I I've always tried to avoid my heroes my whole life, you know. And then I did Sun City, and I got punished. I had Fifty of my heroes I had to produce. Right, for Sun City <laughs> on the Sun yeah, City record, yeah, you know. Yeah. But I've always been a little bit gun shy because I had a bad incident when I was a kid. Uh, um, the Rolling Stones came to Asbury Park, and uh, Freddie King opened for them. You know, it's blues guy. Uh-huh. And the guy, the kids I was with, they wanted to go and look and get their autograph. You know, and it was only one hotel in Asbury yeah. Park until recently, <laughs> actually. <laughs> <laughs> and I was never a big autograph guy. You know, I didn't really get it. But uh, I said, all right, we go. I went with my friends, and we're going up and down the hallways. You know, and then and there's and there's Freddie King, and the doors open, and there's Freddie King, and uh, and they were like, and I push him, you know, go ask him, ask him, ask him, you know. I'm like, I don't want to ask him, you know, ask him. All right, all right. I said, Mr. King, I'm sorry. Uh, can we get your autograph? And he he he, he, he uh, he's like, oh, come here. And I I step in the room a little bit. He picks up the pillow on his bed, and there's a big gun. Like a forty-five, <laughs> I swear to God. Oh my God! Yeah, <laughs> I'm like I'm twelve. You know. <laughs> oh my God! You know, and, and he goes, points to the gun. You know, and to this day, I don't play any Freddie King licks. Ooh! <laughs> I, don't, I swear to God, I don't play his record. That, I don't play. <laughs> that is a scar, emotionally scarring. <laughs> so uh, ever since then, I'm like very reluctant <laughs> to meet my hero. <laughs> I was reminded of the, the Danny K. George Carlin story, but the, but Stevens is much oh, scarier. This, yeah, yeah. At least George Carlin's life wasn't in danger. <laughs> George Carlin said when he met Danny K. as a kid, who was his hero, he brushed him off, uh, and he never forgot it. And he learned a lesson that he was never going to treat a fan oh, that way. Well, with that's this, for sure. With disrespect. Yeah. So have have you ever shot one of your fans? <laughs> <laughs> No, but no, let's not go down that route. Are you intimidated no, no, no. by meeting a comedy hero of yours today? Yes, Stephen, sure. meeting Gilbert? I am. I was reluctant to do it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let's face it. You know, it's Jerry Lewis. You know, Alan King, Jackie Vernon, and Gilbert Gottfried. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Who else matters? You're a Jerry fan, too. I saw The Nutty Professor on your list of favorite comedies. I love that movie. Yeah, I love it. Uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> no, no bigger Jerry Genius. Lewis fan than that. Genius. Oh, yeah. I just love that movie. Now, uh, can you sing for us, uh, We've Got a World That Swings? Well, as Buddy Love? Or yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Put me on the spot. <laughs> We've got a world that 
Swing. <laughs> ding, oh, ding, ding. Yeah. Up at dawn and sleepy oh, yeah. and yawning. Still the taste of wine. Then I remember your mind. And I've got a world that's fine. <laughs> Watch before me. Routines that bore me. Punch the clock at eight. Then I remember your mind, and I've got a world that's great. Adam Bombs, Kate and false alarms. Half the universe is up in arms. So I flip a little too until I'm holding you. What's before me? Routines and then I'd like to take you through this wild, wonderful venture. Fly like a kite through space. No, oh, no strings. strings. I don't want to lose that yeah, bell that ring. <laughs> I got, got a world that you got a world that we got a world that swings. We've got a world that swings. I know the bridge and everything. I'm telling you, that's impressive. I'm going to send you a link of him singing MacArthur Park with Jimmy Webb. It's going to ruin your week. <laughs> yeah. Love that. How about that? I had, yeah, I, I mean. And, and, and then the, the sad ending of, I'm not usually at a loss for words, but if you bear with me, I think I can explain. <laughs> <laughs> I got a. Uh, I, I don't know how to find it, but uh, somewhere on YouTube, I've only done like two commercials. I did a commercial uh, as as Jerry, and it went a nice professor. You got you got to you got to find. Oh that. my God, we you'll, have you'll to get find a, that. You get a kick out of that, yeah, yeah. As uh, for uh, the telecom company in Norway, uh, whatever it was called, just put up. You know, Steve Van Zandt. It'll probably come up, but uh, yeah. What, what was your reaction when when Scorsese called you up and said he wanted you to play Jerry Vale? Well, you know Records what? I listened to as a kid. I mean, he, he, first of all, he's... Aldi Law. <laughs> out of all of the singers, you know, yeah. he is... Yeah. The, the, got, the, got the purest voice. I mean, he's like this close to an opera singer. <laughs> and uh, I, I had read the book, you know, before even I knew that Marty was doing the movie. Mm -hmm. It was my favorite mob book, you know? Oh, really? Yeah, I loved the book. Uh, and I read every mob book, you know. Now, you, you we mentioned before, briefly... The day the earth stood still. Mm. Now, here's what I always found weird about that movie. The way it's dated in some ways. You've got a guy living in a boarding house by himself, a strange guy who goes out with a little boy every day and takes him to the park. Well, that wasn't weird in those days. Yeah. Nobody ever heard of pedoph pedophiles. <laughs> yes. now, it, was, it was not a thing yet. Yeah. It wasn't a thing. Now you can't watch that movie without, what's she doing with that little boy? <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> when I was 11, I sold a letter to Marvel Comics, and they published yeah. my whole address, which they would never oh do. Oh, my God. It was 1970, ne 1972. They never do that nowadays. Yeah. You'd never put a, a, oh. ki a kid's address in a... Oh, 
I saw different different yeah, times. Different times. I saw recently an episode of the Andy Griffith Show where there's a little boy who's Opie's friend, and Andy takes out a gun because the little boy wants to hold a gun and learned how to how you fire a gun, and he puts a gun in a little boy's hand, and Andy with his country like oh well you hold on to this part real firm and then you put your finger around the trigger and it's like he's showing a little boy how to fire a gun this is horrible wow <laughs> pretty radical we go all over the place here as you can see yeah. <laughs> there's no rhyme or reason to this show well we would go out after school you know apparently you know you leave go to the park I mean, uh, you know, nobody's uh, watching anybody. You know. Sure, I, different times. I remember it's like it, it felt like when when I was little, uh, I walked out the door and I'd come back. Time to eat. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. That's it. With yeah. all due respect, Gilbert, who would take you? Well, <laughs> well that would. But, <laughs> but that was it. Your parents didn't want you around until dinner. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Which takes me back to you and uh, watching the Beatles and watching the Stones and deciding that this had to be a way of life somehow. And and your 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 stepdad was a uh, who you didn't see eye to eye with who was a Goldwater Republican, an ex Marine, and an ex Marine Goldwater Republican. Which uh, we were the generation gap. I mean, we defined it. You yeah. know. Yeah. I mean, people can't imagine how weird it was back then. You know, uh, we were just an embarrassment to our parents and. Uh, Really, really big conflict, and I got thrown out of the house. Got thrown out of school for for having for for long hair. Just having, for having long hair. Just just having long hair. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, you know, we were degenerates. You know, they, you know, as I've said many times, <laughs> they would have preferred me being a criminal. You know, <laughs> at, least, at least it was steady work. <laughs> There's anything wrong being a degenerate? You know, but it was you know, and I thought that would be the biggest generation gap in history. I really did. But now I'm starting to wonder about this one right now. Mm-hmm. This may be even bigger because it's much more subtle. It is. It's you know? interesting. I mean, we were at war with our parents. Now they live with their parents till they're 45. So it, it kind of it fools you. It fools you. But this generation gap is is quite big, and uh, that's one of the reasons why we created the, the the new curriculum. You know, the new high school. Not just high school. Yeah, but, talk uh, about it. We put it in the intro. It's well, just, important yeah, work. Very briefly, we created this music history curriculum for three reasons real quick. One, to keep the art in the DNA of the education system because that's the first thing that goes in everybody's budget. You know, the, the arts just goes. But secondly, we needed to create a new methodology for these kids who are smarter than us and faster than us and have no patience at all, you know. And... Uh, Parents, I mean, the teachers have been tearing their hair out trying to get their kids' attention. Mm-hmm. And we figured out how to do it. We do it with music. You know, it's, uh, thank God they're still into music, even though they don't buy it, tragically, but they still right. listen to it. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and you just, you know, you can't drag them to our old methods, you know. We were told, you know, learn this now and someday you'll use it, you know. You can't do that with these kids. They're, they're going to get the answer in 20 seconds on their device, you know. So we um, we asked them who their favorite artist is, and whoever it is, we, tra- we traced them back and provide a little context, a little history, and they stay tuned in. You know, they say uh, Beyonce, and we say, well, Beyonce comes from uh, this woman called Aretha Franklin, 
And Aretha Franklin comes from Detroit. We talk about Detroit, and she comes from the Gospel Church. We talk about the church and involved in the civil rights movement, and we talk about that. And they stay tuned in because it's a comfortable area for them, you know? It's a brilliant idea. Yeah, you know, and it's working. It's working. we got 30,000 teachers registered already, and we just started, you know? How, how are these kids, I mean, you, you get a couple of kids that, that, know, that surprise you, that know a little bit more about music history than... than... Well, yeah, some of them yeah. know a little bit, but this generation is funny. They don't, they don't think about history. I mean, I, I know it's hard to explain this. When we grew up, you know, we again we had a huge generation gap, but we knew about Frank Sinatra yes. and Dean Martin. And, we lament uh, that on this show all the time. Jimmy Cagney, and, sure. you know, I mean, you know, we knew about our parents and, and our grandparents' uh, you know, general culture. Sure, these kids don't. They they don't. They were like born, you know, yesterday, and the world was born yesterday. You know, it's a very odd phenomenon, and uh, we have to adjust to that. You know, and we figure the bureaucracy is never going to adjust to it, and we're going to lose a whole generation here. So we really worked hard to try and get something that works for this generation, and it's working. It's brilliant to use pop culture. Think about how, how our attention spans wandered in school. Yes. You use your Onslow Stevens analogy. Yeah. If somebody had, had come to us that way in school, and, and somehow educated us through movies, through our love yeah. of television, through our love of music, we might have paid attention differently. Exactly. We might have learned something. Yeah. If they would so have connected it somehow to Lon Chaney Jr., <laughs> I would have been fine. Exactly. I yeah. would have been an A student. Yeah. How can, how can, how can people help and get behind it, Stephen? Teachrock.org. Um, it's free, by the way, for teachers worldwide. Everything's licensed. The music's all licensed and the videos. Um and uh, I guess there's some way to donate. Uh, I should know this, shouldn't I? Teach, <laughs> teachrock.org is the website. Yeah, there's probably like a way to donate if you want to donate, but basically it's all private money. It's no government money, no mm -hmm. tax money, and taxpayers' money. It's all privately funded, and uh, and it's free for, for teachers. They just sign up and they use it. And one thing we've talked about a lot on this show is even people who are supposed to know, people who write about show business, write books and articles and talk, and you go, wow, they're getting everything wrong. <laughs> they don't know. That's why you need your own podcast. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. straighten yeah. the thing out. Yeah. You know, we love pop culture history. We like introducing younger people to older actors and older stars and you know and if, we had Ron Dante in here and we had we had Jimmy Webb and we had Tommy James and we had you know Paul Williams and we have 26 year olds 28 year olds listening to the show they don't know who these people are no but we feel no. a sense of accomplishment believe me it is because again they they just don't have that natural curiosity about it don't ask me why because we did you know, we did, and, and even though we may not have even liked it, you know, we, we may not have understood or liked Frank Sinatra until later. We knew about them, you know, but these kids don't. They just, they just, uh, they have a certain uh, way of just what, dealing with what's in front of them, you know. And it's different. It's very I, different. On on the podcast, I love when I'll get a message from somebody who says, "I had no idea who that was, but I've been looking them up." Barbara mm. Feldon from Get Smart. Oh, yes. Yeah. 99. 99. We had her on the show, and we get mail from people who say, I never heard of this show. I never heard of this person. Mm. But now I'm going to go on Wikipedia, and I'm going to look her up, and I'm going to find her work. So we feel an accomplishment. Absolutely. For turning on. Uh, you know, Did you ever hear her record? 
Oh, how did that go? I'm <laughs> sure you uh, know it. Charlie, yes. Charlie Fox uh, produced that record. Oh, my God. Yeah, the 99 one. Yeah. 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 I, I don't remember. All I remember is the, the hook, you know, 99. It's come up. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it, is, it has come up on this everybody show. Everybody had records in those days. Everybody, you know. Yeah. Twiggy, you know, everybody. Everybody in those days. So you you took comfort in this idea of a band that 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 you were obviously you're saying you got kicked out of the house, you got kicked out of school, you needed what some sense of home, some place to belong. Well, the the, the band thing was what appealed to me. You know, I wasn't like I said, I wasn't interested in Elvis Presley or in any of those people. You know, um, it just didn't occur to me. You know, that being in the spotlight, it's all about me, me, me. You know. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing wrong with it now. But back then, uh, it didn't appeal to me. But us, you know, the the family, the the friendship, the, the communicating community, which is what bands did, that was what appealed to me. You know, it was just a different way of uh, living life. You know, the gang, the posse, you know, the army sure. platoon, you know, take your pick, the football team. Part know. of the club. I think it's human nature yeah. to some extent, you know, to want to belong to something, you know, and especially us. We were just freaks, misfits, and outcasts. They <laughs> 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 didn't want to go to college, didn't want to go in the military, didn't want to work a straight job. You I've know? heard you say that about you and, and Bruce, that, that, that you guys, there was nothing else you guys could do at a certain point. Yeah, I mean, people think you're so, you know, courageous and, you know, you're so noble for, for, for <laughs> staying on the path. I'm like, no, we weren't. <laughs> we couldn't do anything else. <laughs> We were losers, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and you know, but me and him were the only ones, you know, in New Jersey <laughs> at the time. <laughs> so that was partly why we became such close friends, because uh, we both believed in this rock and roll thing 100 percent, which was not a, a given at that time. It was not a business yet. Sure. And other people went into their father's job or they went, they oh, joined no. the military, yeah, they I mean, dropped the, off the... There was only about a dozen bands that got out of the garage, you know, and actually played in the local area. But as soon as they had an option, they took it. You know, as soon as they had uh, something, some other way of making a living, they took it. Except for us, yeah. You guys shared an obsession. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and again... Uh, incapable of doing anything that's fit into society so <laughs> it's the beatles literally saved my life yeah that's fascinating you know i would have been a real soprano if not probably interesting did, so what, you, did you meet any of the other beatles besides paul just paul and ringo you know ringo uh yeah, i never met uh, john or george unfortunately yeah uh ringo's great too you know he's uh he's amazing they both you know, they're both vegetarians, and uh, they both look about, you know, 35. Yeah, they're uh, vibrant uh, and youthful. Uh, forget it. Yeah. They look may, maybe 40 at the most. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> really, it, make, it makes you really seriously consider what you're, what you're eating. I read that George was a favorite beetle when you were a kid. Is that true? Yeah, everybody had their favorite beetle. You know, that sounds silly now, but uh, I like that. I always liked the guy, you know, slightly behind, you know. Uh-huh. Um, this is my natural inclination. I just—I uh, was never getting a spotlight type of guy. Yeah. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast, but first, a word from our sponsor. So you started a band, basically, for the, to 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 have this feeling, to have this to to have this connection, yeah, to find an, a family outside of, yeah, a place to be. 
Yeah, and just uh, it became a way to express yourself. It became a way to you know get laid. You know, you know, <laughs> make a few dollars. <laughs> Although we weren't that popular when we started, you know, it, it wasn't. We figured it's gonna be like Hard Day's Night. You know, girls chasing you around. <laughs> But it wasn't. It wasn't like hard days. Like it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> it, the, the girls still wanted to, you know, sleep with the football players and the, you know, the, the, the sports guys. So. What were those early bands? And did you guys do? Did you attempt originals? Did you do covers? No, mostly covers in those days. Yeah, you know, I didn't write till much later. Uh, and um, I, I got on the oldies, what they call the oldies circuit, which was uh, a very bizarre circuit you know in the mm-hmm. early 70s when the Beatles when the entire British invasion came and by that I mean literally there was 10 or 15 British bands that came all at the same time and uh, the Americans were not even on the charts for about a year and a half uh, and and uh, they put all the heroes out of work you know they didn't mean to do that but that's just what happened and they all ended up on this thing called the oldie circuit <laughs> And they were in their like like late thirties, early forties. <laughs> put out the pasture, right? Everybody, everybody in the fifties. You know, we had somebody on the show who tell who has that story. Neil Sedaka, uh, he was here. And, there you go. and he yeah. said he would meet these the He's new major stars. They would be thrilled yeah. to see him. But the the public, it's like who the hell's Neil Sedaka? Well, yeah. and the industry really just completely turned their back yeah. on them. Yeah. Which was just a terrible thing because starting with that that generation in the '60s, the audience would grow up with them and stay with them to this day. I mean, who's the biggest act of the, of the '60s? Is the Stones and Beatles? Who's the biggest act today? Stones and Beatles. You know, um, it wasn't the case with the '50s guys, with the pioneers who invented it. Unfortunately, whatever record you had on the charts by 1964, that's all you're going to have for the rest of your life. You know, so if you were lucky to have, you know, three or four hits like a Benny King or, you know, sure. something like that, you know, you could kind of make it work. But if you had like one or two hits, you would need those one or two hits the rest of your life. Who were these? Who were some of these oldies acts that had been basically put out to pasture when you well, when you went on the, I met the, them the all. Devels you were, you were touring I, with them? I mean, I, Little Richard and yeah. Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley and right. Jerry Lee Lewis, uh, you know, the Drifters, the Coasters. And uh, the Beatles and the Stones Charles. worshipped these guys. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um you know, like I said, it was an unintentional consequence. But um, up until the Beatles, every single record had a saxophone solo. You know, they put a thousand sax players out of work. That's you know? <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> Unintentionally. Yeah. yeah, I mean, after that, only the Dave Clark Five kept the sax. And that's why it was so radical when Bruce put a saxophone in the band. Right. He was making a statement. Like, we're going to have a little respect for the past as well as looking ahead to the future. You know, we're going to have one hand in the past, one hand in the future. And that was a big move at that time. You know, that was radical. We always felt that way. We always felt like we were part of tradition. And proudly so, you know. So, But I met all my heroes in those sure. days. And little Richard wound up officiating your wedding. Yeah, I had little Richard with my <laughs> preacher at my and, wedding. <laughs> and didn't didn't you say he he basically lied and had never... Yeah, he had... never done it. He never done it. <laughs> I do it all the time. You know. <laughs> <laughs> he lied. <laughs> but you, then, had, you know, then we we picked like the shortest sermon, you know, and he just threw it away and improvised. And there's a film of it somewhere. I can't find it. Nobody can find it. But uh, how cool to have little Richard 
presiding over yeah, your wedding. I figured if you're going to get married, you might as well have a rock and roll wedding. You know, you know. <laughs> per- you? Percy Sledge sang when a man loves a woman. Oh, Percy Sledge sang too. When he walked down the aisle. Wow. Yeah. Wow, wow. Yeah, it was nice. The Godfather, you know, the band and the Godfather, you know, outside at the. Sure. The Michael, that was the band. The Godfather band. <laughs> he used those guys? Oh, yeah. <laughs> How'd you find them? Hey, you make a phone call, you know. <laughs> But you took it upon yourself to get involved in the careers of some of those people. That well, had, you I, felt you owed them some. I, I really did feel that, number one. But number two, I was like, these people are still fantastic. And, and, and by the way, 50s artists oh, yeah. and the early 60s artists are very different than everybody that came after. In those days, you actually had to have talent. Okay, I mean, for real. You know, they they were singing. You weren't overdubbing and tuning. You know, with the devices, you had to sing in tune the first time every time. You know, and they're just the quality of these guys was just amazing. So I love producing them, and um, yeah, I brought back uh, whenever I could do it. I would bring them back and put them on our records. You know, sure. or Southside Johnny's records. Just to show people that they were still still great, you know what I mean, uh, and also a way of saying thank you, but but uh, more just saying hey, hire these guys, you know, Lee Dorsey. I got him out from he was under a car, he was working on a car. Uh, Ronnie Spector got out of out of retirement. We love uh, Ronnie Spector. Dara's a big know. Ronnie Spector fan over there. I just uh, and I, uh, of course what you did for Darlene. Yeah, Darlene was a little bit later, but yeah, she just made we made her first album. And, you know, and I always, a few years ago. inspiring. Yeah. I always felt like what we do on the podcast is it. Kind of, they used to be like Fantasy Island and Love Boat. So these old performers who were put out to pasture huh. by show business would pop up, and you go, "Oh, they're still good." Yeah. We've had many of them on this show. Oh yeah, try, trying yeah. to prove that point. Yeah. Well, yeah, they, yeah and they and they tend to have. They're more iconic. They more had more personality usually, you know, even back then. And I, you know, for Southside's second album, we reunited the Coasters, the Drifters, and the Five Satins. And uh, wow. Then we uh, did uh, two records with Gary U.S. Bonds, you know, who's still fantastic. Sure. And Darling Love, and you know, brought back Chuck Jackson and Benny King on the Gary Bonds album. You know, just trying to show people how great they still were. And uh, it's they, inspiring they, they too. Got, it's a shame because they got they got shafted. Really, they they did. Only that generation. Only the guys who invented it. You know, <laughs> of all people, yes. right? <laughs> it's <laughs> a cruel uh, twist. Really, it, it is. And I and I, I spent my whole life trying to like you know make it up to them somehow. You know, I mean that's why they're in my they're in regular rotation in my in my format. You know, you're gonna hear of course Benny King and. Chuck Jackson, yeah, whoever. It was inspiring, too, with Darlene that you put the call out to songwriters. And, and what, Elvis Costello produced two songs in 24 hours? He, he sent me four, Bruce wrote four, four songs in, 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 in like, in, in within literally two days, yeah. That's nice to I see. I mean, that's, you know, I hate asking anybody for anything, you know. But in that case, you know, I said, you know, I, 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 this is the greatest singer in the world, in my opinion, and she really is. And I was like, I gotta have the greatest songwriters write something new for her, you know. And uh, and Barry and Cynthia, yeah, too, Barry and Cynthia, and... Well, you know, they they wrote a classic. Uh, Jimmy Webb, who hadn't you know written for anybody for thirty years, you know. Uh, he says, you know, what do you want? I said, ah, nothing special. <laughs> Another one of those MacArthur Parks, you know. <laughs> 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 and, uh, 
you know, Joan Jett, uh, Bruce Springsteen. Uh, El- but Elvis sent me four songs in like two days. He says, you know, pick from some of these, you know. <laughs> it was nice. But uh, I'm proud And it's of, a great record. Yeah, I'm proud of that it's album. It's a great record. It's called Introducing Darlene Love. <laughs> Meanwhile, her first hit was uh, He's a Rebel, 1962. Yeah. And, and I got to ask you, jumping to The Sopranos, uh, what was uh, James Gandolfini like? He was just uh, amazing. Uh, one of my very best friends, and I miss him every day. Um, you know, he was he was a character actor, you know? And that's uh, the odd thing about that show. Um, David Chase was just extremely creative in every way, including who we cast, you know? Yeah, and and, uh, and so you know when you cast a, a character actor as the lead, it's a different vibe on the set, you know, because he was very very humble about it, and uh, you know he pulled me he pulled me aside he pulled me over to a mirror he said look look in the mirror, look at this guy, do you believe they cast me as the lead in this show? Are you humility? What's the matter with these people? You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and he, he was serious about it, you know. And uh, just a wonderful, wonderful guy, and one of the greatest actors I think ever. And he's just getting started. It's such a tragedy because uh, he was just, I think, one of the great actors of all time. You know, really, really. You look at any one of his films. Oh yeah. Even even if the film is not that great, he's always great. Well, I recommend yeah. Not Fade Away, which I just watched again uh, last night. And you know, and his part isn't isn't enormous, but he makes so much of it. I know he's, he's wonderful in that, and uh, you know, like a true romance or uh, yeah. The one with Julia Louis-Dreyfus, the name of which is escaping me, uh, is very good. I'll think of it. Yeah, Get Shorty, he was great in that. Yeah. You know, but uh, he just was a wonderful guy, wonderful, really. It's a big, big loss. And good to you, particularly under the circumstances, a guy who had never acted before. Well, I I didn't know how they were going to react, you know, because, you know, these people, they... They work their whole lives, sure. uh, you know. They go to school. They 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 off off Broadway, you know, and uh, working their way up to TV. That's why I told David Chase in the end. I said, you know, I don't know about this. Uh, I, I feel like I don't want. I, I really feel a little guilty taking an actor's job. You know, these guys work their whole lives. And he said, no, you're not going to take an actor's job. I'm going to write a part in for you. You know, and uh, so uh, you know. And, and and that was nice. And but then Jimmy, right from day one, and the other guys too, Tony Sirico, Vinnie Pastor, uh, Edie, everybody, Lorraine, they just treated me with the utmost respect you know, right away. That's right. Yeah. One yeah. of the, one of the crowd. And one of the when group. you played that character, you had a facial expression, the way you kept your mouth. <laughs> The way you stood, the way your shoulders were. Was that based on any one person or a bunch of people? Well, the bunch. There's a bunch, you know. I was a fan of the whole, you know, the whole genre, the whole milieu, you know. So I, I went all the way back, That's, you know. Well, you're, you're a fan of those movies. I mean, I know yeah. you love Angels with Dirty Faces oh, and yeah. you love The Roaring Twenties, and which we love. All of that, yeah. Yeah, yeah I really did. I love Cagney. And uh, I use more Cagney and Lilyhammer, actually. Uh but uh, you know, you just you just uh, create this thing in your head. You know, you don't, you don't want to steal things. You know, too obviously. <laughs> a little bit of this, a little bit of that. <laughs> and I just uh, I had to create the guy from the outside in. You know, so I found out where you know John Gotti got his clothes made and went to his tailor and you know did the hair the hair thing. You know, he was a guy who I wrote a whole biography about the guy. I know that's you know. fascinating. And, you know, the guy was. Uh, 
grew up with Tony Soprano and kind of just became his right hand man. You know, and I, and I kind of used my relationship with Bruce, you know, to to, uh, to do to do the part. I, I one of my favorite lines is in Roaring Twenties where Bogart says to Cagney, he goes, "You know, you used to ask me things. Now you're telling me." And then Cagney says, "So," and he goes, "Show my feelings is getting hurt." <laughs> <laughs> very good, Gil. <laughs> very, very good. <laughs> I love those two movies. Yeah, good stuff. One of the things I find fascinating is that that how David Chase saw you at the rock and roll induction. You were you were inducting your friends, the Turtles. Into the Hall of Fame. The Rascals. Did that, excuse me, the Rascals. Yeah. You did that little, that little. You, you wore the old Rascals little Lord Fauntleroy mm. outfit. And you did a little bit of shtick. A little bit. And he decided, he saw that, and he decided, this guy's an actor. He just doesn't know it yet. Yeah. yeah he called and says, you know, you want to be in my new TV show? I was like, geez, that's nice. You know. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not really. He says, what do you mean, no? I says, I'm not an actor, you know. Isn't that a requirement, you know? (laughs) (laughs) He says, don't worry, you're an actor. You just don't know it yet. That's fascinating. I had nothing better to do, so I went down there, you know. You went? (laughs) I was out of work at the time. Some things just don't change. He saw something in your face, he said. That he saw, yeah. he thought you had a Pacino look. He thought well, you had a Michael Corleone kind of quality. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, I guess. But, but, but we also we we had a very different kind of identity as a rock and roll band. You know, we were kind of the rock and roll Rat Pack. We really were. You mm-hmm. know, and 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 we all we weren't just faceless, nameless sidemen. You know, we we actually had personalities. And I played the Dean Martin role, basically to Bruce's Frank Sinatra and. Clarence was Sammy Davis on steroids, you know. Right, <laughs> that's a good analogy. You know, but that was that was really how we were, and, and uh, so he saw that that relationship that we had, you know, and, and knew there was a, you know, there's an acting element. Uh, we're all acting all the time, anyway. Of I mean, so it's just a matter of degrees. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he picked up on that. Silvio was such a beloved character. What kind of mail did you get from people? Well, yeah, I mean. The scariest thing, really, was, was <laughs> after the girl, the, the you know, uh, um, oh jeez. Oh, when you killed Drea DiMatteo's De, De character? Yeah, as uh, as Adriana. Right, right after, yeah, Adriana. That's that's, that's the character. Like you know, this poor girl, completely innocent girl, and uh, gets caught ratting us out to the FBI. So I got to whack her, you know, and uh, so I killed this innocent girl, you know. I'm walking down the street. People come up to you. Yeah, man. Yeah, she had it coming, man. You know, <laughs> disturbing. Right on, brother. I'm like, what's the matter with you? Are you crazy? You know, girl was totally innocent. You know. So, you know, it was a scary thing. It was a scary. Did you get the opposite re- response? Yeah, yeah, too? yeah. Then, then, then a lot of people were, were pissed off because that was their favorite, their favorite character. You know, they were all in love with her. You know, I watched that scene last How night. It's a brutal you. scene. Yeah, it's tough to watch. That's the toughest, toughest thing I ever did. Did you get a lot of women that thought it was hot that you were killing people? Well. <laughs> <laughs> What a question. <laughs> let, let me let me let me put it this way. Uh, in those days, there were some 
you know, there's some mob joints, you know, the, the restaurants, you know. Yeah. And I would go to some of them, you know. And one in particular, which shall remain nameless, <laughs> uh, was particularly mob oriented, and uh, you know, and 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 they and they were there, you know. And and when you see the real thing, it's not it's not funny, it's not uh, romantic, it's not like yeah. it's not cool, <laughs> it's very scary. Okay, <laughs> the real guys are really scary, and you know, uh, their wives and their girlfriends would you know come up for an autograph or a picture, you know. And, uh, you know, yeah, at first, you know, you, you know, yeah, sure, you know. Then you, then you take a look, you know, and look at them, you know, how, how, they're, how, they're, how they're looking at you, you know. And I, I just stopped going to those places. I mean, it was like, you know. Yeah. I mean, I'm not. <laughs> Maybe that was a good yeah. idea. No, no, that's it. I'm not going, I'm not even going near that place anymore. Well, they know? say that- mobsters always romanticized actors who played mobsters. That that goes way back. Well, it's a certain type, yeah. you know. That, yeah. that you know, the, the attractive, that the anti-authoritarian yeah. aspect. I think is what it's about. I mean, you know, a hundred years ago it was cowboys or whatever. You know, and, <laughs> I get it. And it's it's one of those things where I think it's hard to know now. Are the gangsters imitating the gangster movies or the movies imit? Well, you know, which one came up with all the cliches? Well, that was well, that was the thing with the Godfather in particular. I mean, that the book was a work of genius, and and the uh, and the movie, of course, the greatest movie of all time. And they were mobsters learning how to be mobsters from that movie. You know, that's a fact. You know, I mean, by the time we got to Sopranos, uh, they they ran a uh, FBI thing. Uh, and they and they and they did the transcript in the Daily News or the Post of a bunch of mob guys watching Sopranos, you know, commenting on Sopranos, <laughs> and they were like, "Hey, this guy's playing you, and that guy's playing you, and look at this," you know. And they were they thought we were copying, you know, real crimes, yeah. you know, that you know they were committing, and certain one of us were playing their their, you know. Wow. Meanwhile, David Chase was just making the whole thing up. You know, there was no real basis. And, you know, but it was funny seeing uh, they were big fans of the show. Thank God, you know. Or else, you know. <laughs> Thank God. And, and you said how when you saw actual gangsters, there was. Could you describe how, what it was to actually see actual gangsters? The feeling. Well, the, the main thing, you know right away. There, there were different species of people. I mean, there. You know, you can see it in in the eyes. The eyes are dead. They're just dead. You know, I mean, I can't even explain to how that is or why that is, but uh, you can see it in their eyes. You know, they just don't have that normal look. Is a you know, uh, and uh, they just carry themselves a certain way. You know, which you know, it's, it's exaggerated to some extent in the movies, uh, and, but sometimes it's you know, it's closer than than than. Uh, you know, than others, but but um, they just have a, a a certain way they dress, a certain way they 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 talk, and you know, it's different. It's very different, and uh, you know, you don't want to get too close to that world. You know, that's not your world, really. You know, but like I said, we we did it. We didn't. We tried not to romanticize that world. I mean, if you look at the Sopranos, no, not. you know. We showed that it's you know it's not the most exciting lifestyle it's anymore. It's a Shakespearean tragedy. <laughs> it's not the Roaring Twenties, you know what I mean? Right. It's a, you know it's a it's a tough lifestyle, and these guys fall into it. You know, maybe from their relatives or whatever. They had no choice. You know, they were in their neighborhood. 
you know. So we tried not to romanticize it, but at the same time, we had a, a certain respect for it. And I carried that respect right into Lillehammer. I said, you know, I'm not going to do a comedy. They wanted to do a comedy at first, you know. And I'm like, no, I can't, I can't make fun of these guys. You know, I, you know, I'm making a living, you know, uh, you know, more or less, you know, imitating them to some extent. But I got to do it with respect. You know what I mean? I can't, I can't be making fun of them in any way. So the humor that came out of Lillehammer or Sopranos was out of circumstance. Sure, you know? but Frank strikes you know? me as a more serious character in a way than Silvio was. Silvio's kind of funny. Well, he, uh, he's dark. Well, he had. F- <laughs> but there's, am I wrong? There's, uh, a little, there's a little bit of there's a little bit of humor. Well, I, th- I think that's wrong in the sense that, 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 that Silvio had more pressure on him, really. You know, to, his job was to protect uh, Tony Soprano, you know. So, uh, you know, he had a little bit more, uh, I think he was a little bit more serious, actually. Uh, Frankie, the fixer, everybody loved him. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, he was the guy in the neighborhood that would take care of whatever the problem was. And, you know, that's why when the attempted assassination happened, he was in shock. And he says, you know, I want to go in the witness protection program in Lillehammer in Norway because he was couldn't believe somebody would try to kill him. It's a great show. People need to find it if they haven't seen it. Yeah, it's the first show on Netflix. That, you know, that, yes. The very first show. We had Joey Pants here. We had Buscemi here mm. because we love character actors. Yeah. Dominic, we told you, was here. Uh, when, you, when you went on set and worked with, I mean, you, did you go into this and say, look, I've never acted before. I'm going to be a sponge and, and try to learn a little bit from each of course, one of these guys, of Peter Riegers, another guy we had here from The Sopranos. Of course, you know. And, 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 and the one I forget his fucking name all the time, and he's the king of character actors. Dick Miller. Dick Miller. Yeah, yeah. You know Dick Miller? You know him by face. Yeah. I probably do. Yeah. Bucket of Blood. All those Roger Corman movies. From this oh, 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 oh. Yeah. I love Roger Corman. Yeah. Um, but these guys, I mean, I, we'd, I, we'd, like to, we'd like to champion these guys who are maybe not... The, the, the typical, leading men, uh, but a do Well, let me tell you something. I mean, you know, I was taking it seriously. And, I mean, you know, I was really, you know, going to work at it. But uh, we, were doing, we were doing a table read the first uh, the first day. And then we, you know, you, you, do a, you just read through the script, sitting around a table. And, you know, then the next day you start filming it, you know. And, it was, and, and that was a nice thing. Not every show does that. Maybe they do now. But in those days, it was an unusual thing, uh, and, and um, it's nice because that's the only time you're going to see the whole cast. You know, unless you have a scene with somebody, you're never going to see them again. Mm-hmm. You know, so everybody's around the table. You know, and I'm I'm kind of like uh, the whole experience is kind of surreal to me. You know what I mean? Like you know, all of a sudden now I'm an actor. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know. But I'm, you know, kind of there. I'm, I'm there, but I'm not there. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of half there. And, you know, the table, you know, bring the table. And I look up, and there is Johnny Ola. You know? Oh, oh Dominic. Yeah. And now, you know, the yeah. godfather. Yeah. Sure. I don't, sure. Have to, I don't have to tell you what that means, sure. right? Sure, you know? of course, to us too. And that's when it hit me, you know. Oh, my God, it's Johnny Ola, you know. I'm acting with Johnny Ola. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And uh, and it was just like a real moment of, uh, you know, uh, revelation, you know, that, jeez, uh, you know, to be in, a, in anything with somebody from The Godfather, you know. Now. Was, you know. Yeah. What's there? Great. Close, Anything? close to Paul McCartney coming on stage. Yeah, but it's you know? great that you're still it was, in, you're, you're in touch with that feeling. <laughs> you know, yeah, but it's it's you know, 
There are certain things that are just, uh, mm-hmm. you know, way up there. Now, is there anything, any redeeming traits or factors about Godfather 3? Well, <laughs> it, was a, it was tough. The, the main redeeming trait was the story of the Pope being assassinated, which I think is true. I think that's based on a true story, although it's very controversial. There was a whole book about it. I think that's true. Which that's I right. read uh, in God's name or something like that. So they had picked up on a very, very interesting little controversy in the church about uh, John Paul II or whoever it was. You know, he was just too much like Jesus Christ. You know, he was, he was just too much with the, you know... Mm-hmm. Enough with the wealth and the gold and, you know, let's get rid of all this stuff. I mean, we're supposed to be like, you know, religious people and, you know, and they were like, you know, the bankers were like, let's get rid of this guy. So that was an interesting uh, kind of plot, you know, you know, a premise for for the show, you know, but uh, it was a problem, you know, they said they had problems and it was a shame. I don't think Coppola wanted to do it. I think he got dragged into it. Yeah, he had he had told the story he wanted to tell. Yeah, and they they kept and you know, twice, twice, twice. Two of the greatest movies ever yeah. made, you know. And, and and this one really wasn't based on the book. You see, that's where things go sideways. No puzo. You know? Yeah, yeah. It it seemed like the people who did Godfather Three had never seen one or two. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's some good performances. I mean, Montaigne's good, and yeah, and but very good. Yeah. Uh, it's a good, yeah, good but, moments. But, it doesn't add up. As soon as Robert Duvall wasn't in it, I thought this is going to be a problem. Yeah, that was a step in the wrong direction. Yeah, I mean, something happened there probably with you know, money. And Pacino money. started overdoing. He started getting into his uh, big performances. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes the story's over. And yeah, you need, you need, yes, to, you need yes. to call it a day. Can I ask you a couple of quick questions from listeners? I'm here. Steven? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we do a thing called Grill the Guest on Patreon. Luke Simon wants to know, what is your favorite movie that your music has appeared in or been used in? That's question one. Uh-huh. Or I can ask you his second question if you'd prefer that one. Um, well, my music, um, there's been a few. I got to say, uh, it has a special place in my heart. It's Home Alone 2 because it's the first time I got a chance to work with Darlene Love after I talked her into moving to New York. <laughs> and uh, I didn't work with her for 20 years. <laughs> you know, it was like right. 20 well, years in the making. Because <laughs> it was, you know, hard hard to figure out what to do with people like that. You know, they're, they're, they're too good. You know, they, they, they don't fit into the modern world. You know what I mean? They're, they're, they have this thing called greatness. There's no place in the modern world for greatness. She is you know? transcendent. But... You know, so you couldn't figure out what category, what what what, what record label is going to be interested in her, and with Chris Columbus came to me and said, "Write a Christmas song for my movie." I said, "Well, this is the perfect opportunity. You know, doesn't have to fit in anywhere. You know, you just have to fit the movie." And uh, I mean, the Home Alone movies were terrific anyway; those first two, but uh, uh, very funny with Joe Pesci. You know. Unbelievable. Yeah. So that's the answer. Uh, Home yeah, Alone I would say Home Alone 2, yes. And part two of his question is, why did Gilbert never get cast as one of the Jews on Sopranos? <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they didn't fare so well, as I recall. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm Jer- not sure Gilbert Jerry Adler, was... another great character actor. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Another great guy. Yeah, he was our... He was our uh, 
He was our Jew, so he was, he did okay. He was our, <laughs> but yeah, there was one with the uh, remember, remember the, the guys with the, uh, the the hotel, and we took over the hotel. Mm-hmm. And all, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, See, Gilbert, you dodged a bullet. Yeah, you know, because oh, yeah. they, they didn't always fare, fare so well, you know. But uh, I love, I love, you know, the history. People don't realize, you know, the Jews in 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 the, in the 40s, 30s, 40s, 50s, just as tough as the Italians. Oh yeah, just as tough. And you know, Murder Incorporated and all those guys who were in you know, a Purple Gang. Well, Hyman Roth isn't he based on Meyer Lansky? I believe, yes, I believe he is. Yeah, but he wasn't one of the tough guys. But they were actually, you know, Benny Siegel. Ben, right, you know, Bugsy. I mean, yeah, I mean, he was a good example of it. But uh, they were very tough. And and the and the most successful mobs, the mob mob uh, families, were always with the Italians and the Jews worked together. You know. I did a whole study about this. It's fascinating know, so, stuff. In my spare time, you know, and, and, the, and the cities were this, you know, New York, you know, most notably the Lucky Luciano gang, uh, Cleveland, you know, L.A., uh, Boston, you know, all, all the major cities where the Jews and Italians worked together were always the strongest families. Just a little, a little Speaking uh, of digression mobs. And, oh, and then, ahead, then there was uh, Peter, uh, Peter Falk later, Mae Brellis. Oh, uh, Murder Incorporated. Yes, yes, very good. Yes, yeah. very good. And and that's great. where the Colombo coat came from. <laughs> that he kept the coat. He kept the raincoat. See what you learn on this show, Stephen. Uh, there you go. Speaking yeah. of the mob, your friend Tommy James. Good, that's good story. That's a movie that has to be made. Yeah, he was story. here, and he t- and we we talked all about Morris Levy, and that's what that story. poor guy went through. Yeah. No, that's a good. That's a good story. Yeah, it's a great more, story. It's one of the best mob stories in the business. <laughs> that book. And, and Incredible was, book. It was so strange. Like he knew Morris Levy was a crook and a murderer and everything, but he says without him, he would have been forgotten about. Yeah, in in those days, it was a strange relationship. Um, and, and and people later on were right to complain that they got ripped off, you know, because by mm-hmm. the by the you know by the companies. But I see both sides of it now, you know. If you didn't give somebody a reason to exploit you, and to to rip you off, so to speak, why should they make you a star? You got ten other kids around the block that can make stars. Well, Brad Garrett's character says it in Not Fade Away. It's called the music business. He yeah. says it to the, the boys. Well, this the... is from a conversation me and David Chase had. Uh-huh. And, 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 and the truth is, you know, I mean, Chuck Berry carried that monkey on his back the, his whole life. Yeah. His whole life he was bitter about being ripped off. And I'm like, you know what? Yes, they should have been more honest with the contracts, okay? But uh, the Chess Brothers, you know, they're selling your singles for, what, you know, 69 cents, you know? And by the time they do the payoffs and they do this and they do that, you know, they're making 20 cents, whatever it is, times what? A million records? Two million? You know? Okay, and they shouldn't have, they shouldn't have done that. But Chuck Berry, with $10,000 in cash in his guitar case before he walked on stage, five days a week for 50 years. So who got, yeah. who, who got ripped off? <laughs> it's hard to do that. Yeah. Who and, got ripped off? And you know to- I mean? Tommy James said, it's like... Had he he was getting ripped off, but had he gone with anybody but Morris Levy, he would have had one hit song, and that would have been his career. But that's the thing. You you now if they'd been more honest and said, "Listen, you're not going to get any royalties. Okay, we're going to take all the royalties, but I'm going to make you a star, and you're going to work for the rest of your life." 
We don't take that deal. Let me take that deal. I'll take that deal right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> let's talk the about podcasts. Yes. Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean the, the box. The, the box. <laughs> <laughs> which, you're, which in part you're here to promote. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's my whole catalog. We finally remastered it and put it out and, uh, and uh, 50 extra tracks, you know. And you were like, well, you're like a kid in a candy store going through all that, that well, stuff? Uh, I had guys finding this stuff, finding you know? Things you'd I, forgotten about. Yeah, really. There's stuff I forgot about, a lot of half-finished songs and uh, demos that I had done for the Jukes that Southside would later sing, you know, and things like that. Very early stuff, too. Uh, me and Southside had a country uh, blues duo for a while, uh, way before the Jukes. And we put a song from that. Somebody had recorded on a cassette in some bar, you know. So we had that and uh, little, little bits and pieces. It's, it was nice. It's a nice box set. Yeah, they sent Rock me one. Roll. It's beautiful. Rock and Roll Rebel, yeah. yeah. Seven LPs. Yeah, yeah. A real labor of love. And, uh, and ahead, when Neil. we were sitting down, Frank said, you have a, an interesting movie poster. Oh, Dr. Goldfoot oh, uh, and the Bikini Machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love those beach movies. There was like nine of them, right? Or something like that. There the Frankie Avalon movies? Well, that's, yeah. It's in that family. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's part of that, that yeah. crazy family yeah. of beach movies. <laughs> one of the last ones. <laughs> yeah, I think it was. <laughs> and, and, and in fact, uh, um, uh, Austin Powers. Uh, oh, yeah. What's, uh, oh, Mike Myers. Mike Myers yeah. took, took some things from that, you know, with the... With, oh, that's the, right. With, with that's the, right. The, the breast, the breast, the, the, the girl the, bots. That's right. You know, yeah, the girl bots. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I never made that connection. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh no, he's, he's you know, he had a good eye. You know, he took you know a little bit of that. <laughs> he took a our man Flint a little bit. You know, oh, our man Flint. Well, yeah, like, oh, the fembots. The fembots. fembots. The fembots. Right. That's right. That's what they're called. <laughs> you got a crazy memory. Do you want to hear a little bit? of <laughs> You like? Do you know the Doctor Fives movies? The, the, the Vincent Price movies? Yeah, 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 yeah. Would you like to hear a little of Gilbert's Vincent Price? Sure. Well, my my favorite, of course, the Tingler. Oh. Uh, you know, because the Tingler was that monster that lived in your spine, <laughs> and and if you got scared and you didn't scream, oh, it, it would right. crush your spine, so you had to scream. <laughs> So the tingler gets loose in a theater, what a and Vincent Price starts screaming in the theater, "Scream, scream for your lives! The tingler is loose in the theater! Scream for your lives!" And then after after it's over, they catch the tingler. He goes, "We now go back to our movie." <laughs> Stephen laughing. <laughs> oh, I love that stuff. You ever hear a better Vincent Price in your life? Well, that's a great Vincent Price. That's a good one. Who, who was the crazy filmmaker who uh, put, you know, electrodes? Oh, in uh, William, you know, William Castle. Castle. Well, yeah. Yeah. yeah, with yeah. with electro whatever. That was called. Uh, what what was that called when you he know, wired uh, the seats? Oh uh, God! Uh, something. God, you know, I, uh, uh, not a Merjo. A Merjo was the house in Haunted Hill that, when they put the, the, the thing paper on the wire. Skeleton. Yeah, there was the skeleton. Yeah, they yeah, put, they put on a clothesline and sent it flying into the. Uh, into the audience. And he had the uh, coward's corner 
that if you thought the film was too scary, you could get your money back. But in order to do that, you'd have to walk down this aisle and a speaker would come on and a light would go on you and go, look at the coward, look at him, he's too scared. <laughs> so then nobody would do that. I, I, I run his ads on my, on my radio show, you know, and uh, I think one of them is like, you know, uh, they sell life insurance, you know, f f before you go in. You know, you know, include, uh, in yes, in you case know. you had a heart yeah. attack and died. Die. You yeah. die. That's don't, right. Don't make that's it through right. the movie. You know. Bob Burns was one of the guys, one of the technicians wiring those seats. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And he used to dress up the as... The hell was the name of that thing? Paul, look at it. Yeah, so, what's... Uh -huh. he, they, yeah, but he there, was, there was a brand name for it. He used to dress up as a monster. Something oh, something oh something right. Uh, they all they all had that. There same, was a Merjo, and there was oh God. What the hell was the name oh of it? God, uh, uh, what's what? I don't think it was that. Yeah, like there was also Mister Sardonicus, where you had to fill out the card. Oh, the vote. They had to vote on his guilt. Yes, yeah. Percepto Vision, or you know, some some. Uh, was it Percepto? Something. Uh, Percepto was a gimmick where Castle attached electric buzzers to the underside of some seats. There you go, oh. Percepto. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's when show business was show sure, business. Joe, Joe Dante made a great movie about him with John Goodman, based uh, based on him. Movie called Matinee, oh, wow. which is where he play, he plays this kind of larger than life William Castle showman. Also produced Rosemary's Baby, made legitimate movies. That's right, William Castle. Wow, yeah, not that what those, not that the Tingler's not legitimate, Gilbert. <laughs> 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 I mean, isn't life like really boring compared to those days? I mean, you know. Wait, really, yeah. what happened? What I, happened? And I remember, really, could life be more boring? No. Well, you're right. We, it I was mean, a renaissance period for music as well as movies everything. and television. And then the whole the whole 70s was, yeah. was, was, was you know, all of that sure. new, new wave, you know, the new wave of the new wave. Sure. You know? When the inmates were running the asylum. All of that. Yeah. You know, Coppola and Spielberg and Scorsese you sure. know, and, and Lucas. I, I remember I met Vincent Price because they used to be on Alan Thicke's show, Pick of the Night. <laughs> and then years later, I run into him and I said, you probably don't remember this, but we met on the Alan Thick show, and he says, oh, yes, that was a terrible show. <laughs> <laughs> you love your pop culture references, too. You snuck in a Wizard of Oz, you know what I'm referring to, on Summer of Sorcery. On the gravity side. Oh, yeah, yeah. You the, snuck in a little bit of the w Wicked the, Witch of the West's... The monkeys. The, uh, the, the armed guards. The, the monkey guards. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we oh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You like an in-joke or a little uh, movie reference. And, they were, and they were, the lawyers were nervous, you know. The lawyers get nervous over everything now. Yeah. Could you imagine them with William Castle? I mean, you know. Oh, yeah. You know, you know, yeah, let the lawyers, like, you know, at... Anyway, it never would have happened. Uh, so they, they they didn't believe us at first, but we actually sang that. We didn't we didn't sample it. You just yeah. sung it. Yeah. yeah, we actually recreated that. <laughs> <laughs> the monkey, the monkey chant. <laughs> There's a video of the making of uh, of Summer of Sorcery, and that's where I saw the the Doctor Goldfoot. And you asked me where I, how I knew that. Oh. The posters on the wall of your studio. Yeah, it's like how do you how do you get in the how, background? How do you know about that? Yeah, and I, as soon as I saw that, I turned to my wife and I said, "This guy." <laughs> this is a man after our own hearts. <laughs> and no, you also I love, I love Palisades it. Park by Freddie Boom Boom Cannon. I love it. A song we love. I Chuck Barris. I, I hung out with Chuck Barris for a long time, and, I, and I'm so, one of my biggest regrets was losing touch with him oh. before he died, you know. But uh, I used to hang out with him a little bit. 
He was know. a dream guest for this uh, podcast. Uh, oh, forget it. But he was reclusive. Um, yeah, but I, I, I got him out, you know. We, we come out, you know, and I really dug him. He's great. I just lost another friend. I just lost uh, Cookie Burns. Oh, and Cookie Burns died, yeah. Yeah, just yeah. a good, good friend of mine. I had him hosting my festival. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do have some things in common. <laughs> <laughs> Summer of Sorcery is a great record, by the way. I want to recommend it to our listeners. Thank you. And it's and it's an homage to you know each song, girl groups. I mean, you're always paying tribute to your antecedents. I am. I I, I want to hear that. I want to hear a little bit of the roots in there somewhere. Right? You know, so I can't relate to it. You know what I mean? Uh, there's a little Spectre in there. There's yeah, a, there's a Sam there's Sam there's Cook tributes Sam on Cook, there. There's some Temptations. Yeah. Uh, Curtis all, Mayfield. All, Curtis Mayfield. You know, Smokey Robinson. Always. Um, that album was a particular gift because uh, I had no intention of coming back into the business, honestly. You know, we did the Soulfire album two years earlier um, just for fun, uh, songs I'd written for other people, you know. Mm -hmm. And then that was, went over so big, you know, we said, well, let's, let's tour. And we're touring. And then halfway through the tour, some new ideas came to me. And, uh, and that, that album really was a gift. I think it's great, too, that you still get excited when you discover a band, when you discover a song. You know, as, as jaded as a guy like you could really? be after all these years in the music uh, business. And in, you know, it's remarkable. You're still really. excited. It is. It is. It's, I, I feel when you hear a great song, it, you, 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 your feelings don't change about that, you know? We counted the number of new bands we introduced over the last uh, 17 years now, 18 years. Uh, over a thousand bands, you know, over a thousand. And... Uh, they all have at least one great song. That's man, great, you know? <laughs> and it, and it's the kind of song you hear it and you and, and and you get equally inspired and motivated, just like you always did. And uh, that is nice, you know. I mean, it's amazing. It's the same twelve notes, same four chords. You know, <laughs> how do people still come up with new things? I, you it know? is amazing. It blows your mind, really. You know, when I write, you know, I don't take anything I write for granted. I'm like, every time you write a song. It's, it could be the last song, you know, you're, you're ever going to write, you know. Because mm -hmm. no matter how much craft, you know, you know, and I've been working my whole life on the craft, there's always a little bit of, uh, it's like anything else, I think, like a great comedy routine, it might be, or a good movie or a book. There's a little element of mystery, you know, combined with the craft. You know, no matter how good you are, there's that little thing you don't quite understand, you know, that, that comes into something that's great. You know, you don't know where it comes from, you know, and you, you wish you could. That little bit of stardust that makes that thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah, you, wish, you wish you could capture it and, it and own it, you know, but you can't. It's one of them, you know, it's a magical performance sometimes, you know. You, understand? you can't predict it. I like that you're not a, a snob about music. There are people, there are rock people and rock fans who are a little, a, a little elitist. I mean, I'm reading your Twitter feed. You know, you're talking about you love the, the Paul Revere and the Raiders and Jay Giles Band and. And, and and Leslie Gore, you you have you understand and you appreciate all kinds of music, bubblegum and British Invasion and pop and 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 great top, top forty and everything. Great is great, you know. You know. Uh, Peter Noon's coming in here on Friday, by the way. Speaking uh, of British Invasion, he's great, you know. And he, you know, I'm trying to get him into the Hall of Fame, you know, there's some some people are going to be tough to get in, you know. It's a shame because. Uh, they never made those serious records that the journalists kind of appreciate, you know. I'm having trouble getting Jay Giles band in. Doesn't know? make any sense. Well, they get uh, in eventually. Uh, I mean, well, yes, yeah. I, I hope so. 
but uh, the rascals were tough to get in. Like I made, I made, like I said in my in my speech, you know, because they dress funny, and and, right. and, and Paul Vigan Raiders, same thing. They deserve to be in, you know. They got six of the greatest rock records, absolutely, and, you know, and uh, and Mark Lindsay did good solo work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but you know, Peter Noon is terrific. And, and by the way, if you ever see his show, if you know, if he comes around, he said at the Iridium, we're going to go see it. Go see him this week. Very entertaining. Very entertaining. I mean, he's he's been entertaining since he was a kid. I know. You know, before he was even in a band. I mean, uh, every what? time I see his show, I mean, he's a, he's just one of the greatest entertainers in the business to this day. You know, and a bunch of great songs. You know, and and you know. What about the monkeys? Will they see the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Well, that's a tough that's one. That's another challenge. That's a tough one. Yeah, yeah. that's a tough one. Um, I don't know. I don't know. You know, you can make an argument, you know, for it. You know, sure. Yeah, but that's uh, a tough one. You know, but I think you know. I remember the Herman Herman Hermit's a producer, Mickey Most, talking about. Uh, I don't know if it was true or not, but he he left town at one point, and they put out. Um, uh, Henry VIII, one of the more comical mm-hmm. records, and uh, against his wishes, you know. And he said, "It's going to kill you. It's going to kill you. It's going to kill your career," you know. And uh, you know, who knows if that's true? I mean, you can ask him. But but um, there was certain, you know. And Peter has a natural inclination to be funny. He's a he's a funny guy, you know. Uh, well, those but, guys were entertainers. With and they they, they, yeah, they grew up in the British Music Hall. I know, I know. There's but, a different but, but sensibility. It, it was just like at at that moment, you know. Uh, it's a reason why they're not taken seriously, you know. And it's a shame because it's it's not right. And they got they got a dozen great records, yep, you know. I agree. Uh, so hopefully he'll get in something. Would you want to let this man go home and? I guess you want, so. You want to sing more Jerry Lewis with him? <laughs> Let's plug. Let's let me plug Summer of Sorcery again, which is just wonderful. Our listeners have got to get it. It's a it's a it's a fun album. Thank you, it's thank a, you. I'm very proud of it. Yeah, and it's and, and Tito you know, Puente tribute on there, and it's it's a party record. It's the first time in my life I ever made uh, two records in a row with the same band. You know, both Soulfire and Summer of Sorcery with the same band, my touring band, the greatest musicians in in, in New York. They stuck with me for like three years. It was amazing. You know. So that was really I I, I, I I give I give them the credit honestly uh, for sticking with me and giving me that foundation to make something like summer sorcery and uh, yeah and a new you know the the, the, the the catalog finally came out people have been asking me to remaster it of for course them, so and the box set is called Rock and Roll Rebel the early work yeah and it's like, like I said all 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 of the uh, the five solo albums plus Sun City. Uh, there's going to be a special Sun City video thing we're going to do next year. All the uh, all of the extra takes, you know, a lot of those guys are no longer around, and uh, we have great interviews with a lot of people. Miles Davis, all yeah. down, you know. We didn't even get to talk about Miles Davis in yeah. Sun City, but next time, if you come back and play with us again, yeah, I'm in the neighborhood. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we want to so, thank Winston Simone for for ah. uh, for setting this up, That's and Ken. Right. We want right. to thank Ken. As well, Winston, Ken, Ken, David, Ken Weinstein, and we want to thank. I want to thank your assistant, Lewis, for sending me that great box set. So that's where my copy went. <laughs> <laughs> that son of a bitch! <laughs> and you're not getting it back. This has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre, and we've been talking to the man who says that when. 
Jews and Italians get together. They make excellent mobsters and hitmen. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen Van Zandt. That was your takeaway yes, from this? That's, that's what I learned from Stephen. <laughs> it's the truth. <laughs> Stephen, this was a joy. Thank you so much. My pleasure. My pleasure. <laughs> Life is dull, it's nothing but one big lull Then presto you do a skull And find that you're reeling She sighs and you're feeling Like a toy on a string And your heart goes ring-a-ding-ding, ring-a-ding-ding, ring-a-ding-ding How could that funny face that seem to be commonplace Project you right into space without any warning. Don't know if it's morning, nighttime, winter, or spring. What's the difference? Ring a ding ding, ring a ding ding, ring a ding ding. She takes your hand, this captivating creature, and like it's planned, you're in the phone book looking for. Preacher, life is swell. You're off to that small hotel, and somewhere a village bell will sound in the steeple, announcing to people love's the loveliest thing. And the bell goes ring a ding ding, ring a ding ding, ring a ding ding.